It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Let's go, let's go, let's go. On Giants.com. I like it, I like it, I like it. And the Giants mobile app. Boom. Give me some juice. Part of the Giants podcast network. Let's roll. Welcome to another edition of the Giants huddle podcast brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the New York Giants. My name is John Schmelk. A new guest today from Pro Football Focus. We've had a lot of guys from PFF on over the years, whether it's Steve, Sam, Brad, all the guys over there. And now we have a new man. He is Arjun Menon. He attends University of Michigan. He's a PFF analyst. Just put a great article last week talking about offseason resources. And as the Giants kind of begin their offseason process, I thought it would be a great time to kind of set the stage as to what's to come. Arjun, appreciate the time, man. Nice to meet you. How are you? Doing good, John. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, really excited to dive into my article, looking at some of the offseason resources for every NFL team, but specifically looking at the Giants and some of the main takeaways we can have from what they can look forward to in the offseason. All right, you're a data guy, and we always start with methodology. So why don't you tell our listeners and viewers what your methodology was for coming up with your composite offseason resources rankings? Yeah, for sure. So I think the main thing there is kind of prioritizing what matters and what doesn't. So going into every offseason, I think there's two things that fans or even just teams look forward to. One is the free agency and one is the draft. Going into free agency, you have basically one thing at your disposal, which is cap space. Uh, so cap space or effective cap space is one of the factors in my offseason composites for. The second factor is draft capital. Now, between the two, um, I weigh draft capital a little bit more just because I think it's more important uh, from a, a general roster building standpoint, because I think draft capital gives you the opportunity to get good players on cheap deals for at least four years. And if you take them in the first round, you could get them for five years. And in general, for teams with veteran contracts, I think draft capital is is more important because you don't have the cap space to be able to go out and get players because you have a quarterback that's making 40 plus million dollars a year. And I think that's especially relevant to the Giants who did sign Daniel Jones to that type of deal last offseason. So in my offseason composite score, the way I weight my factors, so there's three, three factors. I only mentioned two. So draft capital is weighted the highest, then it's effective cap space. And the final uh, the final metric in my composite score is proratable money, which is basically when you can convert up to 80% of a veteran player's roster bonus and uh, base salary in the upcoming year. And you can turn that into a signing bonus to either prorate over the length of the contract, or you can create void years to extend the contract and, and prorate that money even more. So I wanted to re not reward teams, but to account for the fact that teams like the Saints and the Dolphins have all of this money tied up in base salaries and roster bonuses that they could uh, turn into signing bonuses and create cap space in 2024. Uh, now, specifically for the Giants, that's not something that they have a lot of uh, room to do, but that is, they're about league average in that in that area. So um, that's that's the kind of the methodology. That's how I kind of thought of things from a process standpoint and how I kind of weighted some of these uh, factors. Makes sense. When you say effective cap space, you're taking in, into consideration then cost of the draft class, roster bonuses, rather than just that kind of raw number you'll see on over the cap. Yeah, so effective cap space is basically saying if we fill out the fifty-one man roster, like this is what your, uh, this is what the cap sheet will look like, and it's, it, yes, it is also taking into account once you sign your projected rookie class as of uh, January seventeenth, what will your cap space, what will your cap sheet look like from a cap space standpoint? All right, so let's kind of take this overall for the Giants first, then you can kind of break it down by area. You already mentioned kind of the ability to restructure and stuff like that. So where do you have the the Giants in your overall composite? And then how do you have them in their kind of individual buckets? 
Yeah. So in my overall composite, uh, the Giants actually show up fifth. So in, in the actual buckets, they're slightly below league average. So they're 18th in terms of effective cap space. They're fifth in terms of draft capital. And then they're about league average in terms of proratable money. So anything related to the salary cap, they're basically at the league average. But once it comes to draft capital, they show up fifth, which in my opinion, is a very good thing. I know you signed Daniel Jones to that long-term deal, which again, that puts a lot of money on the books for him specifically, and you're allocating a lot of that there. But you have the means to build around him if that is the direction that the Giants choose to go with potentially getting good players on cheap deals. Uh, you traded away Leonard Williams for, I believe, a second-round pick or the draft capital equivalent of a second-round pick. And again, that is that second-round pick could be used to find another Leonard, Leonard Williams, which might be unlikely, but that is the, kind of the process I think the Giants are going through. And just in general, from a generalized team building strategy, I think once you have those veteran quarterbacks, the draft and develop strategy is the most sustainable strategy, I think, in the NFL. Now, while I think the draft can be a crapshoot, it is incredibly tough to beat, I or in, incredibly tough to be accurate year over year. I think if you have one of those drafts where you hit on a lot of picks, what like we've seen in recent years i mean the kansas city chiefs had an incredible 2022 draft which led to a 2023 super bowl the saints had an incredible 2017 draft which led to four straight playoff runs it is possible and, and all you need is one and two one or two drafts with a veteran contract to turn your team around and i think that's one of the strategies i think the giants are leaning into and i think that could lead them to more success down the road and i imagine that additional second round pick is what kind of pushed the giants up the draft composite rankings correct Yes, exactly. And that was factored into account. 100%. All right, let's go to the cap situation. You mentioned they're kind of league average cap-wise. Effective cap space, and I've kind of talked to people around here too. You're looking around probably around $20 million or so, correct? Yeah. Now, when you get into an offseason and you look at $20 million, give Giant fans an idea. Is that one big, one big ticket item and then a bunch of guys after that? How effectively can you use that amount of kind of league average cap space? Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned, I think the Giants have the means to create more, more cap space if they choose. Um, and I don't necessarily think they should, you know, have to do that. So my kind of, or at least from over the cap, they project about 81, about 80 a million in terms of what they can create. They don't necessarily have to create all of that because you're pushing money down the road. That's a lot of uh guaranteed money you're, you're giving out but they could if they wanted to but in my opinion with daniel jones and and just with the kind of uncertainty of where the franchise is right now coming off a losing season i don't necessarily think you want to push the chips all in i think this is a good uh good season to kind of evaluate the roster top to bottom and with 16 million yeah you don't want to use it all in one big ticket i think this is a place where you spread that money out you try to patch holes throughout the roster and just in general i think you want to spend free agent money on non-premium positions that would allow you to target premium positions in the draft. And and seeing as the, as though the Giants have a lot of draft capital, I think the most optimal strategy would be to fill some of the holes on the roster, like offensive line, or maybe finding another cornerback or uh, another, like th another maybe slot receiver or something, and, or just a, a second receiver. And you fill some of those non-premium or backup or depth positions in free agency and then and don't chase a big ticket don't chase a big name and then once you hit the draft you target some of those more premium positions that are a need for this team and and then from there i think you'll have a better way of shaping the roster and continuing to build for a, com a competitive team in 2024 or 2025.
Yeah, I think you hit it. And and for us here, kind of looking at where the Giants are, you talk about those non-premium positions in free agency, and the one I circle with a big red marker is guard, right? The Giants have circled through a lot of guards over the past few years. They haven't quite figured that position out. And you're looking at the top of the guard market, and there's probably not going to be anyone that makes Zach Martin money or anything like that this offseason. You're looking at what, like 12, 13 a year, give or take? Yeah, exactly. And I think there are players that will hit that. Um, there are some great play. I think some great guards hitting the market. I think a couple of names that I've looked at Robert Hunt from Miami, who was having a pretty good year before he got hurt. Uh, Kevin Dotson from the Rams who the Rams traded for, and he turned out to be a career. He turned out to have a career year as they completely changed their scheme from an outside zone scheme to a up the middle gap duo type scheme. And, and so there are players out there that have kind of revitalized their careers in, in new spots, like, like Kevin Dotson and, and John Simpson from the Ravens. And so there are players that I think, yeah, they could go for 12, 13 mil, but I also think because of how sometimes depressed the guard market is, you got, you can get them from for under $10 million, just because maybe the, um, there won't be as much of a demand for some of those guys. And so I think you won't have as much of a bidding war. And so I think, and, and just because they're, they are a non-premium position, I think you might not. I see them go for that high. And safety market, same deal, right? We saw how the you know depressed it was last year. Jesse Bates got his money. No one else really did. Giants have Xavier McKinney hitting free agency. He has said publicly that he thinks he's one of the top safeties in the league. I'm sure he's looking for a big payday. Is that one of those positions where you're looking to, to try to find somebody at a good value rather than trying to hit the top of the market? Yeah, I, I think the value there is is very important. And it, to me, I think it, it depends on what the Giants are going to do a defensive coordinator. I think with Wink, you wanted to have someone very versatile, someone who could blitz, who could fit the run mm-hmm. and play man coverage against tight ends. Once you know, the, the Giants were all out blitzing, if you're going with more of a traditional, say, cover three scheme, like a Gus Bradley or like a Dan Quinn, maybe you're looking for a traditional free safety which is just playing center field. And, you know, there are there are guys that could come out that fit that role. If you're playing, if you're going more with the Fangio type scheme, you want a, a safety that can fit the run, play inside the box, but also have the ability to play center field. And though there are guys that are coming out that could do that, that have experience in those roles. So, yeah, I think it depends on the defensive coordinator. I think some place more value on safety and having being more versatile at safety. So, it, yeah, to me, it, it does depend a little bit on the defensive scheme. And I think you can find guys on the high end and low end of the safety market that can fit the role that the Giants are looking for. You love turf. You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows. Your savings grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings? All right. Those are the non-premium positions. I'll get to the premium positions in a second in the draft. Before I get there, you talked about restructuring, and I think you hit it, right? When you're in a position where you're picking in the top six in the draft, you don't want to start putting void years and moving money and stuff like that, especially with a guy like Daniel Jones coming off an injury, right? But they do have three contracts of guys that I think they expect to be here a long time, and they've shown they're playing at Pro Bowl, all pro levels with Dexter Lawrence, Andrew Thomas, and Bobby Okereke. And you kind of talk a little about this in terms of kicking money down the road. Those are the type of guys that you would probably be more apt and okay, maybe not this year, but at some point, putting the void years on and kicking some of that money because you do expect them to be here over a long period of time, correct? Yeah, exactly. And and those are the players I think you want. The three you mentioned, those were the ones I had circled uh, in terms of restructuring. I think Thomas would be the one I would hold off on just a little bit because of the injuries he had. Um, I think guaranteeing money for, for injured injury 
prone players, which I'm not going to classify Thomas as yet because I think previously he was pretty durable, but doing it off a injury plagued year, I don't necessarily think is the greatest thing. And I think Lawrence and, and Okereke had great years and Lawrence, I think has a shot to be first team all pro. So I think he definitely deserves it. Thomas, again, still a great player, but wanting to, at least I'd want to see him play a healthy season before. I think I guarantee all that money to him. And I think Okereke you could do it for too, even if he's not at a premium position, because I think he is probably one of the leaders of that defense. How about the general strategy of kicking money? And look, we've seen the Saints have been the masters of this. And well, masters of using it, not sure if masters of it paying it off and it paying off in wins and, you know, playoff wins and stuff like that, right? So how do you think a team can best manage that where you're managing cash spending, trying to protect yourself down the road so you don't have to cut good players, which the Saints, by the way, have had to do over the past few years. They had to let guys walk. They don't want to walk because they're kind of utilizing this, keep moving money down the road. The Eagles have done this a little bit too. Is that a wise use of cap space? How careful do teams have to be in terms of moving that money into void years where they're going to be paying players and they're not even on the roster and turning base salary into guarantees to create more immediate cap space? Yeah, so in the past, I used to think of dead money or uh, or restructures as somewhat of a bad thing. But in recent years, I've kind of changed my mind about it, mainly because I think if you can kind of predict that the salary cap is going to continue to increase, the more money restructure and push down the road, that money, you're just it, that increase in money down the road, you're also accounting for the increase in salary cap. Now, what you don't want to do is like the Saints have been doing is you don't want to keep doing it with these same old players. They have literally the oldest roster in the NFL and you're creating all this guaranteed money for all these old players. Old players have a higher injury risk. So guaranteeing money for these high higher injure or higher risk of an injury type player yeah it's probably not going to work out uh, as often but if you i think it's it's not necessarily as much as restructuring money it's about cash spending if you spend cash higher than the salary cap and you're properly accounting for the inflation of the salary cap every single year you have a way of actually beating kind of the NFL salary cap. And this is why I think generally you hear people say, oh, the cap is fake because you can spend all this money in 2023 and push all this money to 2024 and then just do it again a year later. And I now I think if you have an owner willing to spend the cash up front in a given year and continue to push the cap into future years as the salary cap increases, I think you have a way of potentially making a, a small push all in in a year while also being financially flexible in years to come. And I think one of the ways I mentioned earlier to do this is with void years, because void years allow you to uh, use money or basically push money like four or five years down the road when the salary cap is going to be maybe 40, $50 million higher. So yeah, you're losing money in that specific year, but the money, the percentage of the cap that you're taking up is going to be it's much smaller. Lower, right. Yeah. In those future years than in the, in the year current. Like Jalen Hurts' contract is a perfect example of right yeah. the, way the Eagles structured that. I mean, yeah. he has a low caps number, I think for the first three years of that contract, and then you start getting nailed with it. So I think to your point, the key is to pick the right players to do it with that, you know, are going to be there. Because the worst situation you can get into, and this will be my last question on the topic, is that you're sitting there on a player that maybe isn't even a starting caliber player anymore, and you're with you know two or three void years left, and this guy's you know that money's going to move up if you cut him, and then you're in a situation where we're paying a guy that's not even very good, and you can't cut him because he's going to be like a thirty million dollar cap hit, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I think generally now the void year strategy is mainly happening with quarterbacks just because those are like the the sure things. Sure. Uh, but if you have an all pro guy like a Dexter Lawrence, then yeah, I think you should feel comfortable that his play is going to be pretty stable year over year. He's going to give you top 10, probably top five production every single year that he's healthy. And so those are the guys you want to invest in. With the Saints, it's mainly been guys like Cam Jordan, uh, Ryan Ramchick. These are guys that have been all pros, pro bowl guys in the past. And so those are the guys you, you continually see them invest in, restructure their contracts. And I think those are the guys you want to uh, keep investing in. And I think that's maybe the strategy the Giants can lean into if they are willing to do that, if they're willing to kind of be upfront with that cash and and create more cap space uh, in 2023 or 2024, 2024 now. Want a chance to win $10,000 for your small business? Enter to win a Citizen Small Business Community Champion Award by sharing how your company makes a positive impact on your community. Enter at citizensbank.com forward slash business dash champion. Citizens, the official bank of the New York football giants. All right, let's, let's get to the draft here. Premium positions. You know, we know the group quarterback stands on a tier all by itself. Then you have offensive tackle, pass rusher, wide receiver, cornerback. Do you think once you get past the quarterback, any of those four kind of stand above here? Because I agree. And, and I, I go back and forth in this myself. Wide receivers, no data premium position. These top wide receivers don't even make it to free agency anymore, right? Look at the trades for Devontae yeah. Adams, the trade for Tyreek Hill. You're going to have to send draft capital to get them and then pay them on top of it. That's just how it works. It'll be the same with CeeDee Lamb and Dallas, however they handle him. So, but it's a very deep position, right? You do every year now, more and more wide receivers. You can get them later on in the draft. So if you're sitting there in the first round, you got a wide receiver and let's say an offensive tackle with identical grades, do you lean offensive tackle just because those guys are a little bit more rare and tougher to find in, in the higher rounds? How do you kind of view that kind of group of premium positions and how you tier them out? Yeah, so between tackle and receiver, I always would go with receiver. Or not always, but I think receiver is is the um is the option I'd go with. I think receiver gives you a higher ceiling just because I think receivers not only are able to add production on their own. I think they're able to elevate the play of the quarterback. Force think, multiplier, in other words, yeah, right? Exactly. Gotcha. And we've not only seen this in the draft with guys like Jamar Chase, but when, when teams are specifically asking for receivers as part of trades, like Stephon Diggs going to the Bills or DJ Moore going to the Bears, we've seen that force multiplier happen. Yeah. And while, you know, maybe the Bears could be in the running for a quarterback at number one, I think we saw DJ Moore have a career year, and I think this was Justin Fields' most efficient season from a efficiency standpoint. And so from the Giants' perspective, I think they need a number one receiver, and this is something they've kind of lacked, I think, since the Odell Beckham Jr. days. They, sure. have, a book, they have a bookend left tackle at Andrew Thomas they don't need to replace. And while Evan Neal maybe hasn't been the player they've, wanted i think uh offensive lineman development isn't a one or two year thing it could take till year three to develop and we and we saw that with andrew thomas it took him a year or two to develop so i don't think giving up on neil just yet is it would be something that would be right for the giants and yes i think receiver not only is the force multiplier for uh at the position and for the quarterback and for other receivers around them i think generally you'll see that they provide more surplus value which is basically the 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 predicted value based on the production minus the actual money you're paying them. And I think over the four years, their development and how they can influence other players on the roster, I think will provide you more surplus value at pick six or at any point in the first round than taking an offensive tackle.
how confident should teams be that they can find a quarterback that's not that premium top five, top 10 pick? I I don't think it's they should be that confident, but I also don't think that should limit them from taking shots at these types of players in the draft. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, honestly, the best example is the Jordan Love pick. Uh, I don't know how confident the Packers were in Jordan Love going into that draft or if that was just an insurance policy, seeing that maybe Aaron Rodgers didn't have the type of season they wanted under Matt LaFleur in his first year. But for whatever reason, they did take Jordan Love in the back half of the first round. And then one round later, we saw Jalen Hurts go to the Eagles, despite them having Carson Wentz on the roster. Just those two examples of teams understanding that quarterback play can change at any point in a player's career and wanting to have insurance at the most important position is something that all teams should account for. Or maybe not not all teams, but all teams that don't have maybe a top five guy or feel that they have a top five guy. And yeah, like some teams might think they have a top five guy in their minds, but I think maybe other people don't see that and other people will say they should take shots in the draft. And I think uh, just the, the kind of upside that a quarterback can provide on a rookie deal will always lend to the value of maybe a, a different player who's specifically drafted to play special teams or specifically drafted to play a non-premium position. I think that those resources could be spent uh, better if you're tra if you're drafting a rookie quarterback who maybe has more upside than the guy you're starting or the guys you have uh, backing up the starter elsewhere on the roster. What lessons should the Giants take from a team building perspective and team building strategy? And maybe what lessons you took from watching the playoffs over the weekend? Yeah, I think the the main thing is uh, don't be afraid to invest in, in young talent. We saw, again, I'm going to go back to the Packers. We saw them the past two drafts. They basically rebuilt their offense through the draft. And they have their entire, basically, offensive skill position room outside of Aaron Jones, plus their quarterback on rookie deals. And, you know, Daniel Jones, again, he is making veteran contract money. He is making $40 million plus dollars a year. And I think if you if the plan is for him to kind of finish out that contract or, or at least to play the next two years of that deal, just surrounding him with weapons on rookie contracts should be the goal, whether that is at the receiver position or what, whatever, whatever they do with Saquon, if they're looking to replace him again, I think going to the draft instead of free agency and starting new there would be the preferred option, even if this is sort of a weaker running back class. So yeah, I'd pick six. If maybe the top two receivers are off the board. Don't be afraid to trade back and take a receiver later in the draft. I think it's all, again, the draft is all about taking players at value and, and making sure you're not reaching at play on, on players. But yeah, I think just in general, the Giants should be prioritizing uh, premium positions. And given that you have a veteran contract, a quarterback, the margin for error here is much smaller than it was in the past where you can maybe, you know, take a non-premium position high in the draft. Whereas now I think you have to make optimal team building strategies because the margin for error is much smaller. You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with citizens. So go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings? I realize this is a overly broad question and it's very specific to the situation in terms of trading up or down in the draft. I'm generally of the opinion that unless you're trading up for a quarterback, trading up in the draft usually probably is not the best idea. Um, it has worked for other teams. You know, I don't think, you know, the Texans are overly upset that they went to get Will Anderson. Now we'll see. I'm sure they'll regret not having the extra pick this year, but whatever. Your thoughts on an overall for teams in terms of moving up 
moving down is moving down so generally in your opinion the best move you want quantity in that situation just your thoughts on the overall uh, giants maybe ability and moving around the draft here yeah, I think generally trading down is is going to be the more plus EV move, especially if you're able to accumulate picks on day two or day three. Just having all of those dart throws to to be able to draft players who are going to make who are not going to make uh, who are going to be on cheap deals will always be, I think, a plus EV move than trading up or and allocating more resources. To me, I've always thought of it as if you're trading up for a player in the draft, you're you're not only paying that player the salary of the draft pick you're trading up to go to, you also have to pay the salary of the combined draft value you're adding to 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 that trade to the draft pick swap to go up to get that player. So, say you know a team is trading up, say the Giants want to trade up from six to four, they're not only they're they're not only playing that player at four the salary of the fourth overall pick, they're paying whatever is the surplus value of whatever they had to send sure. on top of the sixth overall pick to that team. And generally, there's not a lot of players that can outperform a a trade up because and that is a lot of value you have to add to that team. So while it can be a great player, maybe they're not producing at the level that you would want them to because of the value went up to get them. And sometimes sometimes that that's just the case. Like, I don't, I don't know if Will Anderson will ever be the type of player I, I don't know if will anderson over the course of his four-year deal will produce like the third overall player plus the first round pick the the texans had to trade for him and so those are the kind of the little things i think about but he's still a great player he could still win defensive rookie of the year so sometimes you have to make sometimes you make those mining cv moves and and they still end up working out so you know team building is not a one-way street and not everyone can just trade down in the draft because it's a two-way street so um, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do. Uh, and I think the Giants are in a position that they can make any type of move and I think still have success. Yeah, you got to have a dance partner. Absolutely right. All right. Two more questions. This has been great, Arjun. Awesome information. Give me an idea on the NFC East here. The Giants are trying to overtake Dallas and Philly. We know what happened with Dallas and Philly at the end of the year. As of this recording, both Mike McCarthy and Nick Sirianni are still employed. That had that's a by the minute deal here. So when this is posted, mm -hmm. this might change. But give me an overall outlook in terms of offseason resources, where the Commanders, Cowboys, and Eagles kind of sit, and what the Giants have will have to be competing with moving forward the next couple of years. Yeah. So out of the four, the Commanders are in by far the best spot um, as of this recording. We are they have the second most cap space and the second most draft capital. Obviously, they're picking in number two, which at this point most likely seems like it's going to be a quarterback. And yeah, they have the cap space to go out and, and sign some maybe big ticket free agents. Now, why do they have that cap space? Well, they have Montez Sweat and Chase Young off the books, and that's also why they have a lot of draft capital. So just because they have a lot of you know offseason resources, they have a, a pretty empty roster that they have to fill. And you typically don't want to just build your roster through free agency. And yeah, they're going to have to use their first round pick on a quarterback. So just because they have a lot of cap space and, and draft capital doesn't mean they're in a better spot necessarily than the Giants. Um, but the other two teams, yeah, the Cowboys have the third least amount of offseason resources. I think they made a big push this off this offseason, trading for Stephon Gilmore, trading for Brandon Cooks, and unfortunately just re resulted in a wildcard loss. Um, the Eagles are, are in a little bit of a, a, a better spot. They rank 16th in my offseason composite score. They are basically above average when it comes to draft capital, about league average when it comes to cap space. So, yeah, typically with Howie Roseman, you'll probably see him trade down a lot more than trade up. So whatever draft capital they have now will probably increase the day of the draft just because of how he wheels and deals and makes moves pretty constantly throughout the draft. And they're, they're projected um, 
picks in terms they'll get from free agent losses. The uh, compensatory picks yes. is off the charts for the Eagles too, which is yes, ridiculous. Exactly. And you know, real quick on Dallas, that Dak Prescott contract thing is, I think people are underrating that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I think he's a $58 million cap hit this year. Last year, no trade clause, right? You can't franchise him. So that either is going to have to be some type of convince him to trade deal, which I doubt Jerry Jones is 80. He doesn't want to reset the quarterback thing here. So once they pay him, they can get that cap number way down, which should open up resources for them in free agency to either sign other guys or maybe extend some of the guys in their roster, correct? Exactly. And and yeah, I think that they have to get a DAC deal done before the price shoots up even more. But it's not only that. I mean, they have to pay C.D. Lamb and Micah Parsons. <laughs> and that's a lot of cash that Jerry has to kind of allocate to that roster. And, you know, we typically think of the Cowboys as being a, a big market team, which they are. This is America's team, right? But if we look at specifically the last three years, or 2021, 2022, and 2023, the Cowboys actually spent the sixth least amount of cash in those three years so again this isn't like jerry while he might have the most expensive nfl team or most expensive sports team in america they're just not a team that has spent a lot of cash in recent years and i think that's going to have to change this offseason and if it doesn't i mean you might have to trade one of those three i don't think you trade Dak prescott because finding a, a great quarterback or at least a good to great quarterback is very tough in the nfl but you might have to trade cd lamb and michael parsons while both are at the top of their market while CD Lamb put up 1700 yards and led the league in receptions or Micah Parsons is going to win might win uh defensive player of the year like if you're not going to extend them now while you know you're going to get the best uh value for them now versus in 2025 when they're going to cost even more with a higher salary cap it's in your best interest to kind of get rid of or not get rid of them but to get value for them and so i think like you mentioned the DAC they have other players that need uh new contracts as well yeah, I'll throw Osu Diggy Zoo into that too. He's been yeah. a really good player for yeah. them at defensive tackle that fans don't really talk about. And look, you hope that they, for their sake, not for the Giants' sake, obviously, that they learn their lesson from Dak Prescott waiting to make that deal, which then ended up costing them more money, the no trade, the no tag, and now they're in a tough spot with that. Final question, and then we'll let you go. I've seen you kind of been tracking team defense coverage performance, what performance mm-hmm. you have based on what coverage you are, what other quarterbacks have performed well against. We know the league has moved more to that too deep safety, a lot of zone, keep things in front of you, Vic Fangio-style defenses. You still have some cover one guys. You throw the Giants into that mix, the Dallas Cowboys. You still have the cover three guys. You mentioned it, all the guys from the P. Carroll tree. Where do you think the league is heading in terms of coverage tendencies? What coverages are having the most success? Is it really team dependent? How do you view that trend right now in the NFL, which I think is, is an interesting one? Yeah, I think teams have generally opted to go for the too high scheme just because of the philosophy and how much sense it made. But I think teams are also realizing it's not an easy scheme to emulate. It's not an easy scheme to run. You need to have a good interior defensive line to play light boxes. You need to have a Dexter Lawrence type guy. When Fangio went to Miami, he inherited a defense line that had Christian Wilkins and Zach, Zach Sealer, two of the best at their positions in terms of stopping the run. And so, yeah, you need to be able to stop the run with light boxes and then be able to have safeties that are versatile and cornerbacks that can uh, play in, in uh, match coverage and also be left alone on one side of the field. It's not an easy scheme to emulate while even though the philosophy is sound and the philosophy makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I still think too high or that type of uh, philosophy is is where teams are leaning. 
But I do think as offenses find a way to kind of counter that with shorter passes and leaning more into yak, I think we could see a switch back into uh, some cover three or, or even a, go, a switch back into the early 2000s where we go back to some Tampa two or, or yeah. some cover two where we're taking away those underneath passes and forcing teams to throw further down the field or or force quarterbacks to utilize their arm strength and arm talent to hit throws down the seams or down the sideline. So the NFL is very cyclical and we've had our too high revolution. And I think that could be coming to a close in the next year or two. And I think we could see another shift to a new defensive philosophy. Offenses adjust, defenses adjust, and yes. it's just a cycle and everything repeats itself over and over again. It's amazing. Arjun, this was fun. This was great. I appreciate you being with us. Really enjoying your work on Pro Football Focus. Uh, tell the folks anything else they, you know, you think they should know about what you're doing and what you're up to. Yeah, so uh, like John said, you can find me uh, on pff.com where I, I like to write articles sometimes. You can also find me on Twitter at ArjunMenin100. I post a lot of football analytics graphs and, and tables there. So if you're ever interested in, in the kind of stats and data that go into football or have any requests or numbers that you want to see, feel free to DM me or, or reply to me there. But uh, yeah, John, I really want to appreciate you for having me on. And, and this is a very, very fun conversation. Arjun Menon, Pro Football Focus on the Giants Little Podcast, brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. Thanks for being with us, everybody. We'll see you next time.